Church, we're so glad that you are here with us today in worship. If you are a newcomer and you're connecting with us today online perhaps, or if you're here in the room and you're a newcomer joining us today, we want to encourage you to take a moment and, and let us know that you're here. There's two ways that we've designed that you can do this. First of all, for those in the room, you can use the guest registration card located throughout this room in the backs of the pew, so wherever you're seated in the back of the pew in front of you, and you can fill that out. And then as you leave today, if you would, just drop that in our offering boxes, which are located in the foyer of our sanctuary. Or whether you're here or joining us online this morning, you can also go to our website, fbcchickasha.org slash connect. And there's a, what we call a, an online web form, our connect form that you can fill out. Essentially, it is a digital version of this same thing that you can fill out. And when you submit that, it will be emailed to us as a staff. And so we would encourage you, let us know that you're worshiping with us today. That's also a great way that you can share prayer requests with us. If you have a prayer request that you'd like to make known to us, you can use that connect form and we will pray over those as well as we gather as a staff and, uh, and, and meet this week. We will pray for you and pray for your prayer request. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Last week we finished a sermon set of sermons, a sermon series through the book of 1 Peter. All summer long we have been working our way through the book of 1 Peter and looking at encouragement for exiles as, as believers, how we understand that we are exiles in this world. We are strangers in a land that is not our home is the way that Peter described it in that book. And, and there are great instructions for us on how we're to live in this day and age, how we're to live as believers, knowing that we belong to a kingdom and a king, and yet as citizens of, of a nation, as, as, as part of a culture, as people who live here on this earth, how do we reconcile that tension between our present reality and our future hope? And, and what a great series that was for us to see how we're to live for Christ in the midst of this present age. Today, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture together in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then as a part of our worship today, we're actually going to observe the Lord's Supper together. This particular passage that we're going to study in 1 Corinthians centers upon what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, the practice, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist or some other words that are, are used to describe this practice perhaps in other traditions. But even in this particular text that we study this morning, Paul refers to this as the Lord's Supper. That's where we get the name even is from this very passage of Scripture and so we're going to dig in and understand together what, what this teaches us about the Lord's Supper, the observance of that, and then celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning as a part of our worship. I grew up Baptist. I've been a Baptist my entire life. Literally, I would even say uh, since before I was born, I was Baptist because my parents were strong Baptists. They were, they were very active in the church that I grew up in. And not only that, my mother was the director of the church nursery. And so literally from the week that I was born, I was in church with mom and, and, and there in the nursery, grew up around the church and, and have been molded and shaped and influenced throughout my entire life by the Baptist church. And so I know well that 
one of the things that Baptists are good at and one of the things that you could even say that as Baptists, one of the things that's maybe just in the, the DNA of our Baptist culture is a potluck, right? Am I right? Every, anyone who's been Baptist for any time knows this to be true. Baptist and food seem to go together like hand in glove. In fact, for some of us, maybe a little too well, perhaps, right? That we need to work a little bit on the Baptist and food part. But the truth of the matter is that uh, that really, it's not just Baptist. That when, when believers get together and we, and we fellowship and we celebrate together, food is often a part of that. Because in, even in our culture, but even beyond just our culture, you really can look at, at the cultures of the world that gathering together over food, gathering together over a meal, and, and the fellowship that is shared over a meal is really in many ways something that's common in a lot of cultures, not just our American culture. Culture, but I would dare say many, if not even most cultures of the world today, people like to get together and they like to share food together. And this passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning actually refers to some practices and, and, and some things that are happening as people gather together and they celebrate and they share food together. Now, we're going to see is sort of the, the background or the backdrop for this particular passage of scripture that that Paul is writing about what we know as the Lord's Supper. So let's, before we even read this, let's talk a little bit about the Lord's Supper. Let's talk a little bit about that practice. The Lord's Supper itself, the practice of the Lord's Supper, goes back to the last night that Jesus had with his disciples before his his arrest and the cross. And, and they would have been gathering together to celebrate the, the Jewish Passover feast. And as they're observing the Passover feast together, they come to this point in that Seder, as it would have been known in the Hebrew, that Seder service, where they pass the third cup. There were four different cups that would be passed in the Passover Seder. And the third cup was known as the cup of redemption. And as they passed the third cup of redemption, Jesus says to his disciples, this cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. And, and as they pass the, the bread that would have been a part, the matzah, as, as they would have known it in, in Hebrew, as they would have passed the bread together, Jesus points to the bread and he refers to this and he says, this bread is my body which is broken for you. And, and it's a reminder there of the significance, even an allusion to Isaiah in, in, in the book of Isaiah in, in Isaiah 53 and this, this passage about the suffering servants who would be, who would be crushed for our iniquities, who would, be, who, who would pay the price ultimately for our sins. And Jesus is saying, I am the embodiment of this hope. I am the embodiment of this truth as he's celebrating this meal together with his disciples. And in the days following that last supper that they shared together, that became a common practice amongst the church. Jesus says to them, we can see this in the gospels, do this in remembrance of me. As you celebrate this meal in the future, as you celebrate this going forward, Paul makes reference to that fact even here in 1 Corinthians 11. But in the church, 
there, there was some, uh, particularly in this Corinthian church, there was some division that had developed. Now, we piece some of this together knowing the history and even by looking at the contextual clues that are embedded in the text itself. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he's writing to deal with some issues that the church was having. You know, all churches have issues, right? If you've been a part of any church for any amount of time, you know that churches have issues. Churches have problems because people have issues. People have problems. And churches are just made up of imperfect people. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people in those churches. We, we all hope in the future glory of Christ. We all are awaiting that day when we will meet Jesus face to face and in his presence. Then we will step out of this imperishable, or out of this perishable rather, into something imperishable. Then we will step out of this, this imperfect reality, reality that we know into a perfect reality where we will spend forever with Christ. But in this moment, in this day and age in which we live, we are flawed. And so when we come together, we bring our flaws together and we make up an imperfect church. In fact, I've said to you many times before, and I will always wave this banner strongly in front of our church, that there are no perfect churches. And if you ever found one, you should stay away because you would only mess it up, right? So if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it for them. Uh, But I believe there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. And yet nonetheless, when we come together, there's strength in our unity. There's strength in the power of the gospel that we literally live out together on display for the world to see. But Paul's writing this letter to a real church with real people and real problems. And one of those problems, at least we understand, is what's taking place as they would gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so even as we read this in a moment, you're going to see some hints at things. And and I want to help maybe fill in the gaps a little bit before we dig into that. Uh, what we believe, what, what Bible scholars and, and church historians believe is taking place is that the church is gathering, the church at Corinth in particular, gathering together in the homes of some of the wealthier Christians. And in fact, that makes sense, doesn't it? That people with more means, people with more money would have a bigger home, thus a, a, the ability to host a larger group. And so the church is gathering together in the homes of some of the wealthier members of the church. And the common home in these days, particularly the common home in the city of Corinth would have had what was known as the triclinium. The triclinium is essentially what we would refer to these days as the dining room. But the dining room wasn't big enough for an entire church or an entire city of believers. And outside of the home, there would have been another area, this is a term that we're familiar with, that they would have called the atrium. And so the atrium was a, a courtyard of sorts where people could have gathered together. It would have been inside of the property of the home, though maybe not within the walls of the the actual structure itself. And so oftentimes what would happen is because everyone wouldn't fit into the dining room, into the triclinium, they would spill out into the atrium. But apparently what's happening at the church in Corinth is that the wealthier believers, the, the people with more means, the people with more money were meeting together in the triclinium, separating themselves from those who had less means, those who were perhaps more common or of a lower class or at least of a lower status of sorts. And, and, and so those with the haves 
were meeting together in the inner room and evidently they were having a, a, a better meal, a better feast and weren't waiting on those outside and they weren't doing this together. And so there was an obvious division in terms of the food that was maybe on the table itself as in terms of even just the fact that they were doing this together. And even though we think that even though we think of the Lord's Supper as the juice and the cracker, the, and, and, and it was even in those days, as they gathered together, there was a common practice in the New Testament of what they would call a love feast. We see about this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Jude, uh, Jude verse 12, allude to this. The love feast, which was essentially the church would come together, they would celebrate a meal together, and they would conclude that meal that they called a love feast with the observance of the Lord's Supper. And in Corinth, this was sowing seeds of division and disunity among the church. And so Paul is addressing the matter head on. And he's, he's dealing with it. And in that even gives us instructions of how we are to consider this practice in our midst today. So with that as our backdrop, if you will, let's step into the world of the, the first century potluck uh, amongst the, the, the early church. And, and let's understand what's happening in their love feasts and their observance of the Lord's Supper. And then see how that points us even to how we are to understand and practice this in our midst even yet today. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. In other words, he's saying, I'm about to, I'm about to give you guys a, a rebuke, a reproof. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part for there are, must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, he writes? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks a judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about other things, I will give directions when I come. So Paul's writing, and he's giving these instructions, along with really a, a correction, a, 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 a rebuke would be the word that I would use. He's, he's pointing to some things in their midst, in their practice, and he's saying, look, you guys, this is... In our words today, we would say, this is messed up and you guys got to fix this. Some of you are coming together and, and you're going without while others of you have enough apparently to get drunk. 
And Paul's saying, that's what? That's messed up. You guys need to, you need to work this out. You need to fix these things in your midst. And, and that's exactly what we want to see and how that points to our practices today. But let's be clear about this central issue which plays a backdrop because honestly, this is where I think this text becomes so relevant to us today in the church and, and particularly in the year 2020. When, as I literally wrote the note down uh, as I was studying through this this week, I wrote, this will preach in 2020 because it, the, the very backdrop to all of this is still happening today. That as the church gathers together, the, the very things that are supposed to unite us become things that divide, that sow discord among us. The very things which are supposed to remind us of what Jesus has done, we latch on to those and we, we sort of uh, politicize those in, in, in our own context. We sort of, we, we make those divisive and we let them become polarizing in a sense. In this sense, it was about class, wasn't it? It was about the, it was about those, the haves and the have nots. It was about, it was about literally about material wealth. But, and you could say that that still happens today, but there are, there are any other host of divisions that exist in our churches today. There's still the divisions amongst those who have and those who don't. There's divisions uh, about the color of our skin. There's divisions about where you live. There's a division about which political party you belong to. There's a divisions about where you might send your kids to school or, or if you choose to send your kids to a school. There's divisions about, uh, there's divisions about uh, which TV channels we watch and which radio programs we listen to, right? I mean, you can just go on and on and on and think of all the polarizing ways that we are pulled and stretched apart today. And what we need to understand is that all those things that, that the world would say, draw the line, grab your, grab your people and, and rally, all those things that, that we would tend to if we listen to the world, let it drive us apart in truth become a part of the strength that weaves us together. There is unity in our diversity in the body of Christ. Now, let's be clear there are certain things that we believe that we ought to hold in, in the highest regard. We would call these issues, at least I would call these issues of, 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 of primary order or of first order. Things like the very nature of the heart of the gospel itself. We do not bend. We dare not make any concession for the message of the gospel. And yet, there are any number of other matters that are of second or third or even perhaps lower importance and amongst those issues, there ought to be unity in the body. Unity in the sense that we agree that the things that matter, the things that the Bible has spelled out clearly and laid out in black and white, we stand together united as the body of Christ. And on other things where perhaps we are applying biblical wisdom and biblical discernment and our understanding, then we make we make the decision that even though we may disagree on the way that we're to work out certain things, that we're better together under the name of Christ. And where I may disagree with you, rather than pointing the finger and calling names and doing all the other tacky things that we see happening in the world, we decide, you know what? I'm gonna love you and, and, I'm, gonna, and I'm gonna choose to be, to be one with you in spite of our differences because I understand that we fill in the gaps with one another and we make each other stronger and we're better together. It's okay to have your opinions. Hear me on this. 
It is perfectly okay to be passionate about a political party or to be passionate about a candidate. It's perfectly okay to be passionate about certain issues that may not even be most strictly speaking political in nature, but are nonetheless, you know, issues. And it's perfectly okay to have an opinion. It's perfectly okay to express our opinions on certain things. And it's not talking about how we all just need to keep our mouth shut. And no, but the point is that even in the way that we do that, we can do it in a way that sows unity or in a way that sows disunity. And you know exactly what I'm saying, right? We've all seen this and, and perhaps many of us been guilty of this as well. We can express ourselves in a way that, that draws lines and, and pushes people to, the, to the, their, their boundaries or we can express ourselves in a way that tries to love others and include others and, and show that there's room for everyone at the table of Christ. And the point of what Paul is writing to this church is You guys are letting the very things that are intended to unite you, divide you. And that'll preach in the world in 2020 today. And I hope that as we look at this, what we walk away from this is that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together today, that it truly becomes communion for us. That word itself even is really just a compound word, right, of of common union. It's the things that we hold together, that as we celebrate this together, it reminds us what holds us together as the body of Christ, which is the very gospel itself. So we're going to see in this passage the significance, first of all, of remembrance. There's significance in our remembrance. Jesus makes this statement clear. Paul quotes him twice, do this in remembrance of me. There's significance in our remembrance. When we gather together for this specific purpose, to remember the sacrifice of Christ, to remember his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us, there's significance in remembrance. It's this very act of remembrance that calls us to proclaim Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf. We come together as we are united together around the Lord's Supper, around communion, that we are called to proclaim the gospel. That's what the very act of the Lord's Supper itself is. It is a, literally, a physical demonstration of the the sacrifice of Jesus, which is why Jesus himself celebrated that with his disciples the, on, on the last night on earth, at least, at least the last night prior to uh, the 40 days that he spent on earth after his resurrection, right? And, and he is saying to them in the future, when you do this, remember this, that as you pass this bread, this bread represents my body, which we've broken for you. And as you pass this cup, this cup of redemption, This cup, let it remind you of my blood, which will be shed for you. And even today, as we pass these individually wrapped containers, right? Thank you, 2020. The the little wafer, the little cracker. May it be a reminder to us of something much greater. And the juice in this cup, may it point us to something that is much bigger than ourselves and much bigger than any one of us on an individual level. Jesus was broken and his blood shed so that you and I might be forgiven and set free. 
There's significance. And so Paul exhorts the church here. He says, examine your motives, examine your methods, examine your manners. Essentially, he says, right? Your motives. What's behind you? What's, what's in your heart as you gather together? Your motives, examine those. Examine your methods, your practices. Look, the way that you guys are doing this, he's saying, needs to be fixed. This is broken and you guys need to fix this. He even goes so far as to say, examine your manners. Examine the way that you consider and you treat one another even in this. This is meant to bring unity and to showcase the gospel. Significant that we do this. This practice itself has survived through, think of this, centuries of the church, through all sorts of cultural situations. Think about how differently your life is in 2020, perhaps from what the life of a Corinthian Christian in the, in, in the mid part of the first century. Think about how different that would have been from someone living in, uh, in, in, in Eastern Europe in the, the, the Middle Ages in that period. Think about how different that would be from someone gathering with other believers in South America in the, the, the 18th century as they were trying to do mission work and, and spread the gospel. And, and all around the world and all throughout human history, in any context, in any situation, this practice has survived. Why? Because Jesus himself is the one who, who calls us to this. And that's significant. There's significance in our remembrance. Secondly, we see the symbols of our remembrance. The symbols themselves. The, the very practice, the very elements as we refer to this. The body and the blood as it were. Now, there are certain traditions, and this is not where we stand as Baptists. There are certain traditions that believe in what they call the transubstantiation. Maybe you've heard that term before, maybe you've not, right? There, there are certain traditions that believe that literally when, when a, a priest or a church leader prays over these elements, they... they, they transform and they literally become the body and the, and the blood of Jesus. Now, we don't believe that. That's not where we stand on that. But you know what? The one thing that I appreciate about that, even though it's not what I believe, the thing that I can look at that practice or that tradition and appreciate is they do not take lightly these elements. They do not take lightly the value of this practice. And, and I think if there's one thing perhaps that sometimes is derived from our beliefs about the elements themselves is that we tend to treat it rather casually. To us, it's just a cracker and some grape juice. And though it is just a cracker and some grape juice, it's symbolic of something so much more and so much deeper. And I hope even today that maybe as, as we partake of this, you will see it with new eyes and understand it with a new a new appreciation, a new depth of understanding that you are, you, you are called to celebrate together with the body of Christ the fact that he gave himself for us. And these symbols remind us of that. Not only that, they point us to the fact that, that even though we live in this present moment, in this present reality, Jesus is coming again. Look at what he says in verse 26. Again, He's just pointing here to Jesus and, and, and the practice that Jesus instituted. But he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, every time we do this, what we're doing literally is proclaiming the gospel. And until Jesus comes again someday, as we gather together, we have the opportunity to proclaim to a lost world that a loving Savior sacrificed himself on a cross for their sin. Let's not take that lightly as we gather together that though our world may be broken, there is hope. And Jesus is coming again to claim his church. And for everyone who would call on the name of the Lord, there is salvation in Christ. May we turn to him today and receive life. The symbols of our remembrance. And then finally we see the solidarity of our remembrance. That word solidarity means unity, right? It means that we, just literally as it sounds, you think of solidarity, something that is solid, something that is united. But there is, there is unity in, the, in this remembrance. There's unity in the power of remembering together. The Lord's Supper is meant to unite us together as a body. And so when he writes in verse 27, 28, 29, and he says, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood. Let a person examine himself then, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. When he's talking here about judgment and discernment, what he's literally, what he's saying is, that if you treat this in such a way that you treat it casually or you allow this to be, to, to, sow, to sow seeds of, of discord or disunity, he's saying you're bringing judgment upon yourself. Do this with a right mind. Do this with a right heart. And so he calls us to self-examination and, and he calls us to serious reflection. And, and that's why when we observe the Lord's Supper together, we make this a holy moment. That's why we always, we, we encourage you to spend some time in prayer and reflection before we observe these elements together is because this is intended to be a moment where we look inward at our hearts. Not you thinking about everybody else around you and what they did or didn't do right, but you thinking about you and your own brokenness and your own sins and your own problems and your own pains and understanding that the blood of Jesus was shed for all of that and the body of Christ was broken so that you might be redeemed and forgiven and set free from your sin. And together as a body, we're united in the sense that all of us have wandered astray. And yet, it's the blood of Christ that washes us clean. May this today be a reminder to us of our solidarity, of our unity, as we remember together. And so in a moment, we're going to do the very thing that Paul urges the church to do. We're going to celebrate together the sacrifice of Christ. Now, before we do that, let me point out something simple, okay? This may seem rather obvious, but it is 2020, is it not? And so uh, the cup itself, it looks just like this. And there are essentially two different layers to the top. You can peel the first layer and there's a wafer that's on top. And then and, and I'll instruct you when it's time to do that, by the way, when we do the, the bread, a part of the Lord's Supper where we observe the bread or the cracker. And then you'll be able to peel the second part and there's the juice. That may seem sim simple enough, but when you first see this, you may think, how do I get in this thing? What am I supposed to do with that? And so uh, that, that's what we're going to do together, all right? Uh, and, and I might even add that parents, if you have kids, there might need, for those who, who, who have already professed Christ but are still a little bit younger, there might be a need for a little bit of help with that. I don't know. You, you make up 
your mind what, what they need help with. But, but that's what we're going to do together in just a moment as we observe these elements together, as we move into this time of reflection. And even as we do that, may it remind us of what Jesus did for us and may it unite us together as his body that we that we are united in proclaiming the gospel to a world that desperately needs Jesus and so I'm going to ask our deacon men who are helping today if they would make their way forward to to help as we prepare and even as we do this Doug and Becky are going to begin to sing a song and and as they're singing this song we want to turn this into a moment of worship, a moment of reflection. I want to encourage you to spend some moments in, in serious reflection, self-examination. And, and as we get ready, then our deacons will begin to pass the tray. And, and then I will lead us together in the observance of the Lord's Supper together in a moment once we've been able to distribute this around the room. Okay? There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. And thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done stand in glory well, I will see his face there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place and thank you oh my father for giving us your son leaving your spirit till 
Okay, if you'd like, go ahead and let's peel the first layer, shall we? We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Why don't we pause first and let's, do, let's give thanks. And then we'll take this element and celebrate it together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that though we don't deserve it, we can be forgiven and set free. And now as we do this, Lord, we desire to proclaim your gospel to a world that needs you. Jesus, may you be exalted among us. In your name we pray, amen. Let me take any. peel back the next layer. We continue to read. And in the same way, he also took the cup, the cup of redemption, we know. And after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may take and drink. Amen. Thank you to our deacons. You guys may make your ways back to your seat. In a moment, we're gonna move into a time of invitation, a time of response. But before we do that, I wanna be very clear on something. And that is, the very thing that all of this is pointing us to, right? It's as, if, it's as if the Lord's Supper is a bright, flashing, neon sign pointing us 
to the cross of Christ, pointing us to salvation in Jesus, saying, let all who come, come to the foot of the cross. Let everyone who has sinned come into the arms of a Savior who offers forgiveness through his body and his blood. Today, if you're here and you recognize that there's never been a moment in your life where you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you've surrendered your heart and your soul to him, then I pray that today would be the day that you would surrender your life to him, that you would allow these symbols, as it were, to become more than just a a, a religious symbolism, but that it would become your story. You see that the symbols become your story of how Jesus has washed you and made you clean through his body, which was broken for you, his blood, which was shed for your sin. And so as we sing together in a moment, if the Lord is stirring your heart and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus today, then I pray that you would come. Brad and I will be standing here at the front to pray with you a prayer of commitment that you would surrender your life to Jesus today and you would make this the day that you call on him as Savior and Lord. Why don't we stand together? And as we sing, let's continue to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. And if God is stirring as we sing, you come.